Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by Buxton. Look, check them out for really incredible mobile and predictive analytics. You won't be disappointed. Go to buxtonco.com. Well, we have another great show for you today. You know, one of the things that uh, is going on in the world is change, right? <laughs> one constant in this world is change. So in commercial real estate, we're always want to know, well, what's going to happen? What, what, what should we look at moving forward? Well, we have a great guest to help us with that. We have Anthony Graziano, Mr. Real Estate. He is the CEO of Integra Realty Resources. And he's joining us here in Studio One. Thanks for seeing us, Mr. Real Estate. Michael, great to be back. Thank yeah. you for having me. Yeah, it's good to see you. And these guys, they do consulting and appraisals and, and uh and that type of work all around the country. In fact, they have 58 offices in the U.S. and the Caribbean. So they really track the commercial real estate market in a big way. So I want to, and they do an annual report. Here it is. It just came out in January. It's called Viewpoint 2022. We're going to hit some of the highlights to see what we might expect moving forward from Mr. Real Estate. Now, and I've got to start off with a subject we're all tired of. you know, obviously COVID has had a big impact. It's still having some impact, especially on, on some sectors more than others. And what do you expect for kind of us moving forward from the COVID impact? So it's interesting, you know, this this year, everybody started to talk about post-pandemic. What, what's going to happen post-pandemic? And what's interesting really is from the beginning of, of COVID, there were probably about 25 or 30% of the people that thought this is only going to last a few months. About 50% said it was going to last till the end of the year. And when we took our initial market research surveys in April of 2020, only 25% of the people thought that it was going to last for more than two years. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that's happening now as we see uh, this is, is twofold. One is how much more continued financial support is the federal government going to continue to provide? And the answer as we head towards midterm elections is probably much less. Um, that's one of the things, obviously, that is you know, causing a lot of disruption in the economy right now is how do we balance productivity against uh, stimulus? Uh, but the other thing is, I think the psychology of the psych- psychological changes that have occurred over the last two years in terms of people reevaluating work, uh, reevaluating work from home, all of these social impacts now are starting to manifest themselves and show up in the real estate statistics. And so what's going to be interesting is, you know, asset class by asset class, how does this change the way people behave? Now and over the next you know, few years, uh, Pfizer CEO says COVID's not going away. I mean, as much as we want to talk about boosters and vaccines and all of the other oral medications that are going to come very shortly, the reality of it is this is going to be with us for a long time. So I think over time, we're going to get more accustomed to it. And then we're going to see what the behavioral changes are and, and how people react. And that's going to have an impact on how we use real estate. Yeah. And it's certainly impacted industrial. It's really kind of maybe benefited industrial, right? And then you look at retail, it's kind of changed that, but retail really hasn't really suffered that much. You think about change-wise, because the big boxes are already having problems. Right? Well, and, and retail had a big turnaround in 2021 mm-hmm. for two reasons. One, consumers, consumers had more money to spend because they spent 2020 largely at home and not spending. So we had a big pop in 21 as a result of uh, the pent-up demand from 2020. And the other thing is a lot of the retail sort of shook out 
that was already getting ready to shake out. And 2021, there were fewer restaurants that were open. There was less competition. And then people came back and spent, right? So that revenge spending kind of juiced the existing retail. So we saw a bit of a return on transaction volumes to retail, and we've certainly seen stabilization of rent rolls. Um, now the question is, you know, will that consumer spending continue? And why is it called revenge spending? <laughs> revenge spending, uh, <laughs> I don't know how, who coined the term. I think it's a brilliant term, but yeah. it's, it's basically summarized as, hey, I didn't get to spend in 2020 yeah. what I normally do, yeah. and I'm going to go out and buy everything in Dang 2021. Dang it, I'm getting back out. That's it, it. I'm back in the you game. Can't, you can't stop me. I'm back in the game. And then you can't talk about the impact of, of COVID without talking about office. What do you expect there? So I, I think the next couple of years, the uh, consensus opinion now is this, there's going to be some type of hybrid uh, slow back, slow, more slowly back to the office. Uh, there are obviously certain professional service industries that can go completely remote, and I think some of the technology industries and, and so forth are going in that direction. Um, some people are saying, hey, the leases that endured through 2020 and 21, when they renew, they're going to get smaller. People are going to downsize their footprint. We're going to learn how to share offices more. Um, but I, I think in the long term, I think people go back to the office. I think it's just going to take probably five to seven years until we see a full wow, return. Yeah, well, I think right now, you know, you give, you look at what's happening in the, the great resignation and the, the change in the worker uh, mentality in terms of what they want and how much of a talent shortage there is as we sit here today. And in January 22, there's a lot of discussions throughout all the service industries around this talent shortage. And that's allowing the workers to have a, a, a benefit of the bargain in the sense to say, I'd prefer to work at home. And I think the, the general consensus is the workers want some type of hybrid model. They don't want to have to commute five days a week. Yeah. The bigger question for businesses is how are you going to train new people? And in certain sectors, how, what happens, what's the detriment of not having that collaborative environment? So you have a training issue in the long run, yeah. uh, but you also have a, a look at architects or engineers, people that need to be together working on a project. Yeah. Um, that's very difficult to coordinate in a three or four day work week. Yeah. And what do you think about uh, Google? I think they just spent a billion dollars on, on an office property in London. You know, some of these even technology companies seem to be buying into office space. They do, and I think in, in large part they're doing so because they're betting in, into the future that they're going to need it. Mm -hmm. uh, but some of them obviously were under construction or underway as we headed into the pandemic. Uh, but again, I, I think from a collaborative standpoint, uh, we've been in this form uh, for a very long time, and I don't think that you know, you're know you going to buck that trend. I just think it's going to take a while to sort of get everybody back and re-engaged. But I think you know when you look at how 2021 shook out, this great resignation, these, these folks didn't go away. A lot of people quit their jobs, but this was also sort of a reset of small businesses and consultancies. A lot of people left their jobs and started their own gig. And so um, that'll, that'll create future demand for offices as those businesses grow and grow in, you know, small business formation, I think you're going to see on the upswing in 2022. Yeah. You know, and if you're going to uh, skate where the puck is going, you got to think about uh, the economy, right? That's and you right. got to think about inflation, uh, interest rates. Um, so when you think about the economy, what do you expect in 2022? So, you know, I, the report really talks about the crossroads. We're at, we're at a crossroads now of balancing a lot of things. We've had a tremendous amount of money in, in the real estate sector. Obviously, we've had a lot of money in the stock market as well. But the consequence of that is that investment climate has led to a big run-up in asset prices. And you've seen it in the residential sector and single-family homes. You've also seen it in multifamily rental increases. Uh, and it's also translating into higher overall volumes of transactions in all real estate classes. And so really, the, the question on inflation right now is, how is it affecting the current investment decisions? 
a lot of people are buying apartment complexes, you know, on a three cap, which basically means they're expecting 10% rent growth next year. Um, and in some markets, we're getting it. Um, so the question becomes, though, those prices that people are paying today, are those pro formas with 10 and 12 and 15% annual rent growth for multiple years? Are those going to pan out? Uh, and so we'll see. I mean, a lot of people right now are betting that inflation's priced into the market and will be in the market for some time. What do you think the impact will be for interest rate increases and, and how might that impact commercial real estate? So it's difficult. You know, the Fed's perspective on controlling inflation is to raise interest rates, right? And so there's already been very clear signals that interest rates will be going up in 2022. And as we sit here today, the stock market is, is plummeting on television last week and this week. And so I think the market understands that the Fed's going to react by raising interest rates. Um, whether that bears out in the marketplace, you know, is a little bit more complex. But what we will see this year, obviously, is an increase in rates, and we're going to try to, I think the Fed's going to try to slow down the pipeline of money because they see the inflation in asset prices, which then is going to push further inflation in housing costs. Um, but we're seeing it across, across the spectrum. And I, you know, unlike most people, I don't think that this is just a supply chain issue. Yeah. I think that's part of it, but I think there's also a labor issue tied to it. And I also think that there are bigger macro forces that are driving the inflation currently. So what we say, what we're saying in the report about 2022 is don't use 2021 as a benchmark and lop three or 4% growth on top of that. 2021 was an anomaly. Yeah. We pushed a lot of money into the system in 2020 through federal intervention. We did that worldwide. And now the risk premiums have to readjust to recognize that this, this economy is gonna have to find equilibrium. And that equilibrium is gonna start in 22 and it's gonna lead with an increase in interest rates and borrowing costs for sure. Yeah. Just to slow the amount of money going into the, into the market. Right, and that kind of leads into the, the question for my audience. What about capital markets? What about demand for these commercial properties? What about the valuations and, and uh, volume of sales? Uh, we're, we're brokers in the Southeast and we saw a big increase in volume. And a lot of the folks from the large deals to the small ones told us that the, the reason they were making moves was because the 1031 was potentially on the block to be limited to a million dollars. And capital gains were gonna be increased. Well. When the 1031 uh, went off the pay-for list, our funds actually slowed down a little bit, and and we started seeing a little bit of a decrease in people wanting to do deals. So, uh, what happens if you got if, if that was a surge in demand from some of that, um, and then you have some rising rates? What would you expect for volume of sales uh, moving forward in 2022? I think there are going to be markets where we're going to definitely see a decline in the volume of sales. I mean, if you look across the United States, pretty much every market was setting new benchmarks and new records. Obviously, we had a lot of the Northeast markets uh, had a slowdown in sales. And where we saw a lot of the activity was in the Southeast and in the Midwest and, and even in Texas in particular. So. I think some of those markets, because the populations are expected to increase and jobs are growing in those markets, I think we're going to see continued elevated transaction volume. It's harder and harder to find good deals, though. And so when you look at that as the backdrop and you look at everybody sort of taking their foot off the accelerator, maybe not tapping the brake yet, but at least coming off the accelerator, I think we're going to look at the totals at the end of 22, and they're not going to be as robust in terms of overall transaction volume as they, as they were in 2021. Add to that, obviously, even if we do the same number of transactions, if pricing starts to moderate, the gross total volume is also going to go down. So I think the likelihood is we're going to see fewer transactions, but that's not to say that we're not going to have a robust 22. I think 22 is still going to continue to be a year of trading. Um, the bigger question really is, what are the underlying fundamentals to that? 
You know, we look at trading as an indication of activity in the marketplace, but that's, that's just trading, right? Those investors are making future calls about where they think that the things are going to go. What we're really looking at is in our market research side is really the underlying fundamentals. What is demand? Um, how, much can, how much is under construction? How much will be under construction in the next year or two as construction costs rise and we see those shifts in fundamental demand? And that's where we see probably some deceleration over the next 36 months. Yeah. And when you consider sales volume and demand by investors, um, obviously you've got really high rent increases that we've seen in multifamily and industrial. And so overall, do does that potential rate increase, rent increase in those property types kind of keep demand very high for those sectors and keep the cap rates low? Well, you know, again, if, if the growth rate continues, then that's going to continue to push down the cap rates. But, yeah. you know, we saw, if you look at, at the report, we talk about the country in terms of, you know, we segment the country in terms of regions. And so what we saw is, you know, a slight uptick in cap rates, let's say in the office sector in the Northeast and in the, and in the Midwest and in California and, and in the Western states, we saw an, uh, an increase in cap rates in those, market, in those markets because the investors were looking at it and saying, hey, where, where's the growth here? The jobs are all heading south and they're heading to Texas and we're losing people. So I think some of those adjustments are, are already baked in. Um, but I also think that when we get down to the, the fundamentals market to market, a lot of it's also going to depend on job growth. We have to look at where employment is going. Um, we have to look at some of the big macro shifts that are happening in the marketplace. And I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, everybody's talking today about electric cars, right? And the electric EV industry and what, what's happening there. That has downstream impacts, big downstream impacts in terms of where we're getting cobalt from, where we're getting lithium from. The, the components of these batteries have to come out of a mine. And right now we're short on that, on those hard materials. So we're now exploring opening mines in Boise, Idaho, and, 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 or I should say Idaho and around that region uh, for cobalt mining. That's going to change the demand. Um, the impacts on oil and gas and the price of oil and gas, that's going to change a lot of the fundamental dynamics in Texas. So really looking forward the next five to 10 years in terms of what we're going to be doing demand-wise is going to be very important in understanding those trends. Yeah. And you mentioned um, interest rate increases. So if you're looking in the crystal ball to think about transaction volume in 2022, you know, we've had very low interest rates like, like for, for years. And, and I remember, it seems like it was three or four years ago where everybody was talking about interest rates are going to go up, interest rates are going to go up, you know, make your moves while well, they didn't go up, right? right. Um, now that I guess that's a reality, they're going up, does that make some people go finally go, okay, well, the cost of money may impact my value with my cap rate. Does that maybe increase volume of people wanting to do deals before rates go maybe closer to historic market rates? Oh, I, I think that's why we worked ourselves to death in the fourth quarter of 21. I think there was a huge push towards the fourth quarter of last year to get deals done you know, and cleared before the end of the year. Um, you know, it's interesting. You talk about we, everybody was worried about interest rates going up, you know, a couple of years ago. The truth is, you know, in 2018 and 19, a lot of people were worried recession must be coming okay. because it's been so long that we've had great, such sustained growth. We can't we have to go down at some point. Right. right. Um, we were talking about an affordable, affordable housing crisis, you know, in 2017, 18, 19. I mean, you look at what's happened in our residential markets today, whatever affordable housing crisis we had. I mean, it is acute at this point. So I think we have to shift some of our resources to be producing more affordable housing, thinking about where that needs to go. But in terms of, we tried to raise interest rates. I mean, the Fed started to 
change their policy on bond buybacks mm -hmm. and incrementally increase rates. The, the equilibrium in the economy, though, was that everybody was looking forward and saying, well, we're only going to grow by 2%, so should we raise them yet? And maybe we should wait another quarter. And, and we sort of played this sort of balancing game to try to increase them quickly enough to take the, you know, take our foot off the accelerator, and not too much that we broke the economy and entered a recession. And that was all, all of that strategy was terrific until we pushed $4 trillion in federal stimulus into the economy between March of 2020 and December. And part of the policy dialogue today about what to do with infrastructure is, is well-founded, right? Given what the impacts of $4 trillion did to us in 2020, and now what we're sitting here in 2021 experiencing, do we push another $4 trillion in, even if it's over a five to 10 year period? It's, the economy has, is very complex. And so what I would say is uh, we need to concentrate on where the demand is. There's definitely demand, deep, deep demand on the affordable housing side. Um, and I think what you're gonna start to see is a lot of developers and investors are gonna pivot to those areas where they see long-term growth. We're talking with Anthony Graziano, Viewpoint 22. He is the CEO of Integra Realty Resources. They do a nice report here. And we're going to have this report online. Just go to CREshow.com, the commercial real estate show website. We'll have a link to it in the show notes here. And uh, so before, before you go, um, where are there some opportunities out there in 2022? That's a great question, Michael. <laughs> you know, the... the uh, the opportunities usually come about when there's change and distress, and so we haven't seen a lot of distress yet. But I will tell you that uh, one of the things that we continue to, to watch is where the stress is likely to occur. And I would suggest that uh, there are markets uh, around the country where we're starting to see investors say, I don't want to be in this asset class long term. Uh, office space in the Northeast is, is a good example. Um, there are many undiscovered markets where, and particularly in the secondary and tertiary markets where, you know, the pricing is, there's still reasonable rates to be had on those types of asset classes. I think the institutional world is in for a tough buying season. You know, I think it's very difficult to get class A new quality uh, assets today. Uh, and given where construction costs are going, I think they're going to convince themselves, hey, I'm still buying an under replacement cost. But I think the... The under $25 million class, I think there's still opportunities out there, and I think you, you'll find them in the secondary and tertiary markets. That's where you're going to get your best returns. Yeah. Um, then the question is, are they good risk-adjusted returns? Yeah. Right. Don't, don't be applying the four-and-a-half cap rates to your B-class apartment in a secondary market. Yeah, well, that's right. what they cost. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what, well, at least in the southeast. Well, in that case, then, you know, you're going to have to wait. I mean, we're just going to have to wait. The, the, yeah. the, when the distress occurs you know, be ready with cash. That'll, that's my message. You yeah. know? And, I, and I think we said in the report, you know, this year is going to be about good due diligence, good market research, but most importantly, investor discipline. Yeah. You know, maybe passing on some deals this year, even if that means, you know, you have to give some money back to your investors and say, hey, we didn't find anything good. This year is going to be a, a crossroads. You're going to have to make a decision. Are you betting on a hockey stick future of inflation and rent growth and fundamental demand? and going to continue to deploy capital, or are you going to sit back and say, let's let's wait until cooler heads prevail? Because things are going to change this year. Yeah, and, and in some ways, you know, inflation is, is good for real estate, right? Sure. Yeah, if rents go up, <laughs> uh, that's part of inflation, right? But you still have the construction side. So do you expect uh, new supply then to um, go, go down? 
Look, I th I, again, I think there are many people that put plans in place or started construction mm -hmm. in 21 where we're going to see those cranes coming out of the ground still for the next 12 to 18 months. Mm -hmm. But I think if we forward out 24 to 36 months, I think it has to. I mean, the feasibility of new construction, given where construction costs are and given the lead times, I think that uh, it has to slow. You know, another um, in most markets. Yeah. Another property type that a lot of our listeners are uh, interested in and, and own is single tenant net lease property, long term lease, uh, single tenant properties. And we've really seen those cap rates compress. Sure. Um, would that be a property type that might be most impacted value wise by the rising cost of money? Um, I think that that'll impact uh, <laughs> the value will be impacted by the rising cost of money. It yeah. always is. But again, a lot of those transactions are really safe havens, right? They're looking for durable income stream over a long time horizon. But what, we, what we've seen in that net lease market is that the tenant quality and the judgment on tenant quality starts to get clouded when it's very competitive, right? So you see the, the single net lease market and all of a sudden, you know, every mattress store looks the same as, you know, a well-capitalized corporate lease. Yeah. Uh, and those two things are probably gonna not converge well in 2022. I think the quality single tenant net lease still has a, a strong, you know, strong position in the marketplace. Yeah. I was in a couple of car dealerships uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, they had no cars. <laughs> so that's, that's for sure. That's <laughs> but, for sure. Uh, is that a potential uh, place for opportunities? So the auto dealership market has been, you know, very robust. You'll see a lot of dealerships are expanding currently. Um, I think they're almost taking the supply chain as an excuse to revamp the dealerships, but there's also been a lot of consolidation in the industry, right? The over, over the last 10 years, these dealerships have been getting larger, uh, floor plates have been getting larger. Um, the fact that there's no cars now doesn't mean that people aren't selling cars though. They are selling them. They're just sort of selling them as futures. Uh, so I think that the dealerships will be, uh, pretty well positioned over the next year or two because they're getting forward contracts at infl increased prices. You know, you know when the economy is a little bit out of equilibrium is when your used car has appreciated, yeah. right? And you can get more for your car than what you paid for it three right. years ago. Right. You know you might have a problem. I, I think the, the bigger issue, though, is because of this short-term supply constraint on automobiles, I think the price of automobiles is going to stay elevated, you know, for the, for the intermediate term. And so uh, that's going you know, to be, again, we're going to play catch-up. There's going to be a, a ramp-up of productivity. Uh, of production of automobiles, and then at some point, you know, we'll overproduce the automobiles uh, for, for where we need to be. Yeah. Um, this is also possibly a good opportunity for people to make decisions. If there's a delay, you know, maybe more people head into electric automobiles and the production. As, as the production of electric ramps up, we may see sort of a geometric pop in the amount of electric automobiles yeah. over the next five years just because people couldn't get the gas automobile they wanted, and by the time they're ready to buy, you know, the, the electric version is out. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about that this morning uh, when I was getting ready to go to work, and I thought about my building here where, where we uh, have our studio and our company. There's really, I don't think there's any uh, electrical charging here. Like, yeah. So a lot of these buildings really need to, to ramp up there. And I think they will. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think, again, it's, it's te tenants are going to drive that. If the yeah. tenants are demanding it, the landlord's going to do it. You know, part of the, the off-site electrici electricity generation for automobiles, the difficulty there is, you know, how do you position it for charging and for, for, I mean, I say charging, not charging your automobile. How do you recover the money, right? You can't just let all the tenants come and start drawing electric for free. Yeah, right. And so uh, fig figuring out that, that balance and how to charge for it, I think is going to be, that's going to happen in the next year or two. Yeah. And maybe a place for opportunity. Yes. Um, I saw on Zillow uh, a house that I have that I was thinking about selling 
And Zillow gave me the report said, oh, the value in that zip code is going to go up 11% in the next 12 months. And I'm like, what? 11%? What do you think for the single family build the build the rent uh, environment and, and then the values of, of everyone's homes? What's, what do you expect? I mean, look, the good news is, is that 2021 brought us the lesson that Zillow is probably not right all the time or maybe even any of the time. The artificial intelligence of building algorithms around even something as homogeneous as home pricing uh, was sort of proven as a failure, which I think. So the first thing is, what anybody thinks their house is worth today, just unless you're selling it in the next month or two, don't pay attention to it, right? right? Don't be, uh, don't be f fooled into thinking that this current um, demand that we saw in 2021 is going to continue forever. And you, you can't have 10, 12, 15% price increases in single family homes and wages are increasing 3% a year. You can't do that for too many years until you're out of balance. Right. Uh, and we're on our second year of creating this imbalance. Now we're starting to see obviously wage pressure. That's what's driving built to rent. I do, you know, predominantly what's been driving built to rent is the first time home buyer that doesn't have the down payment. That's really where it started. But now there's this uh, idea of, you know what, we're gonna be able to build to rent for a middle market or even a higher end market where people sell their home and just move in and they capitalize and they use their home for their retirement savings. And so I think build to rent is nascent, it's brand new uh, or relatively new. Uh, I think it will expand quite a bit in the next few years. And then I think that that's gonna be a segment of the market, but it's not ever gonna become a dominant segment of the market. Yeah. You know, it'll, it'll stay as a share. Uh, of the market. I was uh, talking to a residential agent uh, uh, on a house I was looking at online and the first question the agent had for me was, are you an investor? Uh, are you a home buyer? And it gave me the feeling that most of the houses this agent's selling are being bought by investors. In a lot of markets, that's, that's absolutely accurate. And, and some of it, again, is just the difference between you know, what, a, what a home buyer is looking for versus an investor and their ability to close. And there's a lot of markets where home buyers are getting priced out of the market by investors who are willing to pay cash. Uh, they're much, much more forgiving on due diligence because they're going to renovate or they're going to do something with it anyway. Um, but again, that, that, that goes through cycles, right? The investor still has to be able to turn around and either renovate and flip or to be able to rent it at a rate that justifies their price. And that's where we're, you know, it's going to start to, that's where it's going to start to balance out and we're going to find that equilibrium this year. All right, so quick hit on some sectors. Sure. All right. Yep. Um, industrial. Industrial. Uh, we saw tremendous growth. Everybody moved their money there because they thought it was a flight to safety. I think that continues in, in 22. Um, you know, industrials had a lot of tailwinds, uh, and I think nobody really expected industrial to be where it's at currently. But uh, some markets are going to benefit more than others, and I would say that markets with high population concentration stay very hot. There still is a last mile expansion going on, right? Yeah. Where the warehouses need to be closer to the population. And so there's demand. Yeah. Uh, but I think we have to look at industrial against risk adjusted returns probably this year and start to really make ask some questions about what this looks like uh, if prices continue to go yeah. the way they've been going. It's, it's been accelerating quickly, but again, it's been a lot of people pivoting flight to safety. And as people start to pull back on that, I think you're gonna see if you look at the industrial REITs uh, you know, price earnings multiples of 36 mm -hmm. when the historical trend is 22. So I think we're going to start to see, uh, you know, it's, we have to be careful on risk adjusted returns in industrial. All right. Another quick hit, multifamily. Multifamily has been on fire. It was the number one asset class in 2020. It maintained that position in 2021. Cap rates in all the multifamily classes throughout all the regions uh, of the country 
tick down anywhere from 30 to 70 basis points. Where we saw the biggest decrease in capitalization rates, the 60 and 70 and 80 uh, basis point declines in cap rates was in the Southeast. Um, so again, you know, multifamily, I think, is there's, there's a lot of supply going to be in the pipeline over the next two years. Right now, everybody's continuing to believe that rents are going to go up, you know, five, six, eight, ten percent. Um, I do not believe that's going to be sustainable for more than another year or two. Yeah. Okay. Retail. Retail, like I said, had a great year in 21 because of everybody's consumer spending. But, you know, as the stock market gets battered, as interest rates go up, as borrowing costs go up, as the price of cars and inflation starts to impinge, uh, I think retail, you know, is going to be back fighting for fighting for existence in the next year or two, especially in so much as a lot of the retail rents have grown to a level that for some tenants, they're not sustainable. Yeah. Right. So, you know, we, we look at some of the urban markets, we're seeing rent in downtown urban areas of 50 to 80 to 100 dollars a square foot uh, in net rent to the to the tenant in some you know primary tourist markets maybe those rents are even 200 and 300 dollars a square foot yeah. you have to have a lot of retail sales to justify that rent ratio yeah. right general rule of thumb is you know eight to ten percent of sales yeah. so if you're paying 200 dollars a square foot you know you're a jewelry store that's fine but if you're a mom and pop tenant those numbers aren't going to work yeah makes sense all right another quick hit office sector Office sector, as we talked about, is going to be affected not only of you know to to return to work, but I think the office sector generally we're going to see some repricing on demand. I think vacancies are likely to increase in the short term. That's going to reprice rent. Uh, probably not going to see a lot of speculative new construction. Uh, but but there are markets obviously where we're doing built suits. But I think the office market is is going to find its equilibrium probably about twenty four months from now. Twenty four months. Okay, I'd agree with that. Uh, hospitality. Hospitality has been remarkable that we didn't see more distress. I think a lot of people were expecting, you know, immediate distress in 2020, right? The hospitality reprices almost daily, right? So when there's no demand and nobody comes to your hotel and revenue goes to zero, you can't do that for too long until you, you don't make your, make your loan covenants. A lot of the things that got injected into the multifamily, uh, into the real estate market in 20, in 20, to make sure it didn't fall through the floor and it had to do with loan covenants and rent forgiveness and the banks sort of kicking the can down the road with people that were out of compliance or you know weren't in full compliance with their loan covenants that's over now and so i think multi i mean uh, hotels are going to have a tough year uh, because there's been people travel people have been traveling more uh, which is good 2021 was better than 20 but business travel hasn't returned and for a lot of hotels, that's 30, 40% of their revenue. Um, and that's, again, now this is going to be a sustained sort of third year in where business travel hasn't fully returned. And I would say I wouldn't have been as worried about it, but for Omicron, yeah. right? But this, this new resurgence of Omicron has led to a new resurgence of cancellations in, in the hotel industry. And that's got to continue. That has to continue to cause distress. Yeah. All right. Continuing on the quick hits, senior housing. Senior housing. Senior housing, I think, has uh, you know some very good fundamentals behind it. Uh, it hasn't been largely overbuilt, uh, and I think that the demographics certainly support uh, you know strength in the senior housing. There's also been a lot of aggregation around the hospital systems, and I think senior housing is poised for uh, you know stability over the next two to three years. Student housing. <laughs> <laughs> student housing was a big variable. I think yeah. a, a lot of student housing developers were scared in 2020, right? What was going to happen? Mm -hmm. um, Again, I think the way COVID is, is likely to play out, it's 
we're not going to get back to a situation where everybody's going to be home doing school. And uh, there was already a shortage of student housing in most markets. And I think that provided that the college systems still stay strong, student housing is, you know, remains a strong investment. Again, competitive, uh, risk-adjusted spreads, not great, but also not a tremendous uh, oversupply of student housing either. All right. Continuing on this quick hit, self-storage. Self-storage. Self-storage is having its heyday. Um, you know, self-storage generally follows rooftops. So uh, you think about new demand in self-storage, very strong. A uh, lot of industry concentration that's been occurring over the last 10 years. Um, rates are strong, and that asset class hasn't seen a real appreciable increase in construction cost. So their, their challenge is really more site selection. Um, but self-storage is in pretty good shape. You know, rent, demand, the fundamental demand in self-storage is good. The rent-to-cost ratio is good. I think self-storage is, is a good investment over the next two or three years. Data centers. Data centers, is, it's a mixed bag. You know, there's, a, there's so much complexity in that market right now. Um, one of the things I think that data centers are going to be gripped with is this whole dialogue around sustainability and ESG and how much responsibility do you have for energy usage. And so I think we're going to see, you know, data centers as an asset class are going to have to really get in and start looking at what their energy use is looking, and that's going to change the cost dynamics of building a data center. Medical office buildings. <laughs> Medical <laughs> office buildings, I think, seem to be very strong. Yeah. You know, everybody, uh, everybody's looking for longer-term leases. A lot of the medical office buildings are tied to the strengths of the, to the strength of the hospitals in the region. Mm -hmm. um, capitalization rates have largely gone down; they trended down in 2021 mm -hmm. because demand has been there. Um, but I think in the long run, a lot of the medical office inventory is older, and I think that's you know that's going to have to reach equilibrium where you're going to see introduction of new MOBs mm -hmm. and new forms of what you know what we've seen in the new forms with surgery centers and imaging centers. Um, increased power, increased generation, backup. A lot of the older medical office buildings may need to be adaptively reused. Yeah. All right. Great information as usual. I love seeing you here. Thanks for coming. And, and, and before you leave, what would you leave our audience with thinking about for 2022, especially after what, what a great report you guys put out? What would you leave our audience to think about moving forward? Don't ignore the macro trends, right? Be, this, this is a really important time in, in the history of our economy. We haven't seen this type of inflation or the prospect of this type of inflation. Uh, and a lot of people forget that, you know, it's been 25 or 30 years. So there's professionals that have never experienced and never been in this before. So be aware of those macro trends. Uh, like I said, you know, don't push harder on the gas thinking you're gonna benchmark what you did in 21 and 22. Uh, be, be adaptable to change, and uh, don't be afraid to take your foot off the gas because I think it's going to be a very wild ride in 2022. <laughs> I love it. Always a pleasure, Michael. Right, thank great you. Great information. Appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. And thank you for joining us around the country. Like I said, we'll have the link to this report on our website at CREshow.com. Hey, thank you for uh, uh, rating our show. Thank you for sharing it. Thanks for your uh, comments, and thanks for listening. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Buxton. Take leasing site selection and due diligence to the next level. Make the right decisions with on-demand mobile data. 
visit buxtonco.com. By Bull Realty, for proven commercial real estate asset and occupancy solutions, contact me. My email is michael at bullrealty.com. By Commercial Agent Success, expert-level commercial real estate broker training, Cloud Access 1, up to 21 one-hour videos. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Thank you for reviewing, subscribing, and sharing America's commercial real estate show.